Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast, and happy episode 50. My name is Sarah. And I'm Bree. <laughs> and joining <laughs> us today, we have author Melinda Curtis. The best way to celebrate 50, I think. Right? <laughs> sweet (laughs) thank you for being here (laughs) yeah sarah pointed out before she's like this is gonna be our 50th episode and i was like oh my gosh what do you want to do she's like well we have to say something about it and i'm like and we have melinda curtis on so yes let's do it (laughs) this is awesome i feel like you know they've been advertising um walt disney world 50th anniversary and so i've been thinking about 50th anniversaries (laughs) and all of a sudden oh wow here we go. It's, it's a <laughs> good number. Yeah. Uh, so number. before Sarah gets into icebreakers, tell us how 2021 has been for you. Oh, well, 2021 was better than 2020, as many people will attest, right? 2020 was odd because we sold our house and we moved from California to Oregon in the midst of a shutdown. And we had to drive um, those rental moving trucks um, 10 hours. Okay. I drink a lot of coffee and a lot of water and 10 hours during a shutdown when you cannot go into a McDonald's bathroom is torture. Cause what are you left with? You're left with standing in line at Costco to get into a bathroom or going into a gas station bathroom, which every woman can understand what I say when I say, Oh no, (laughs) they're awful. They are awful. (laughs) No, <laughs> so I'm it's sorry, a- like for any gas station workers that may be listening, but when you're on a road trip as a as a lady, it sucks. Yeah, <laughs> they are gross. And it's not even their <laughs> fault because I think the traffic to get in and out of a gas station bathroom is really heavy, and they cannot keep up with keeping yeah. them clean. You know, with like one person on staff or two people on staff or whatever it is. So, yes. So I'm having a better 2021. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into some icebreakers. If you came with a warning label, what would it say? Don't talk to me before coffee. (laughs) Literally, literally, I need to have... um, the morning ritual of coffee, like sit and not be bothered with my two hands around my mug. Don't, don't Mm -hmm. try to talk to me. Don't stress me out. Don't send me email. I don't (laughs) want to open email before I've had my coffee. (laughs) What was your first job? My first job was a sales clerk cashier at a Woolworth. I don't know if anyone remembers Woolworth. They had lunch counters They were like a drugstore with no pharmacy and lunch counters. And uh, yeah, that was my first job. I had no idea that um, there were all these rules. Like you couldn't sell um, glue more than one thing of glue at a time, right? Like people would come in and they'd look kind of a little bit like sketchy and they'd be buying all this glue and I'd be like... (laughs) Hey, what do you, you must be working on the greatest crafts because I was so naive, right? That they were, <laughs> they were actually buying it to sniff it and get a little high. I mean, yeah, I had to be, I, I think I had to go back and be retrained for an hour because they're like, you must have missed this like in the workbook. Like you are not supposed to sell. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no. That's so interesting because what if it's like that 
it's like that suburban mom that's like, I'm just doing back to school shopping. And you're like, no, you're not. I know what you're doing with all that glue. That's right. I don't want to have to go back to retraining because of you. That's right. (laughs) What is one food you can't live without? Oh my gosh. I would have said a couple years ago, I would have said French fries, specifically sweet potato French fries with garlic on them. But um, I have been trying to wean myself from sweet potato fries. So the one thing, what is the one thing? I think it's bread, bread of any kind. I really don't discriminate. It can be a bagel. It could be a potato roll. It could be wheat bread with grains and nuts in it. It's bread. It don't make me give up my bread. (laughs) Equal opportunity bread eater. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Who loves her coffee. Yeah. Um, you mentioned on your website that one thing you and Mr. Curtis do when you're not writing and he isn't watching college basketball are DIY home remodeling projects. Can you share how the two of you got into doing DIY projects? Well, first off, he grew up in a family of contractors. So he was used to going to work and working on things. So whenever we would go look at houses when we were first married, he would say, oh, that texture is horrible. Oh, look, this angle or whatever is off. And I'm like clueless, right? Like I didn't know what angle he was talking about. Apparently, you know, if you're really square where the wall meets the ceiling, you know, you've done a great job. Oh, this trim is crooked. Oh, whatever. So we bought this house, our first house together. And we lived in Dallas, Texas at the time. And we signed papers on my lunch hour and he was a student getting his teaching credential. We were talking about teaching earlier. And, uh, and when Mm -hmm. I came home, he had literally like pulled off doors, pulled up carpet. There was nothing but concrete floors. I mean, (laughs) I was like, we talked about renovation, but not quite (laughs) like this. Like all of a sudden you have no kitchen floor, no living room carpet, no nothing. No, nothing. So yeah, that's kind of how we got into it. I was unsuspecting. As you know, from my first job story, I tend to be a little bit naive and operate in my own universe. And then I look up and go, what? Did we, did we discuss this? So we did when we bought a house last year, we actually moved into a fixer and he proceeded to like tear walls down and imagine like trying to write, you know, rom-com and the emotional moments and the teary stuff while people are working a nail gun, you know, people meaning my husband or whatever. And (laughs) it has, we've owned three houses together in our marriage and we have renovated three houses together. Yeah. Oh my lord. I love don't it. Don't try really this at into home. there's this sh- <laughs> I, I, I don't think it would be me, but I'm fascinated by watching it on TV. There's this new show that just came on called Cheap Old Houses and it's all for people that like want to buy they're under 150k and it's just like people will buy these houses that some consider money pits yes. and renovate the heck out of them. And I'm like and part of me is like well, why not just buy a new house? But then like those old houses with those strong bones mm-hmm. that are going to be around for like another hundred years, you can just, I mean, you really can make it yours. So I, I, yeah, I find remodeling fascinating, but 
I'd be well, like, I have no idea now what color the counters things, in the kitchen yeah. need to be and what kind of floors. <laughs> yeah. My husband told me recently, um, he said, wow, if, if your writing career ever ends, you would have a great job as a finisher because I can apparently caulk. I don't know if you know this, but when you put down the baseboard or the trim around the doors, you, you caulk around it and you caulk the seams and do, you know, cover up the nail holes or whatever. And that has become my specialty along with tiling things that I have <laughs> never aspired to. I mean, I can operate a nail gun. I don't, I never aspired to these kinds of things, right? I'm not a, a girly girl, but <laughs> yeah. So I didn't think I'd be caulking floors. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, wow, if I, if the writing gig ever went away, I always imagined, wow, maybe I would like go be a teacher or be a teacher's aide or something like that. Not work in construction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You recently shared on your Instagram, a writer's tip Wednesday that was Writing is like cooking. Add a little of this, try a pinch of that, be ready to burn the edges sometimes, but always try again. What was one of the best writer's tips someone shared with you? It was why. Because uh, I'm really good at the logistics of a story. They kind of call it walking the dog. Like Anne went to get the leash. She clipped it onto Fido. She opened the door and went outside, forgot her poop bags, ran back inside, got the poop bags, whatever. And um, as I was writing some chapter like that and someone was giving me a critique, they said, but why? Why is she walking the dog? How does she feel when she's walking the dog? Like, give it all context. You're not just telling the story. You have to give the emotional bones behind it, which is the why. And that was really a, like a light bulb went off like, oh. So we love romance origin stories. How did you become a romance reader? I became a romance reader because uh, when my great aunt passed away, she subscribed to all the Harlequin series. And there were bags and bags and bags of books because she was a shut in. So she never took them down to the used bookstore to trade them in. So I just went through and started reading them because I was an avid reader anyway. And I just like fell in love. I think I fell in love first with the desire and the special edition. She had a ton of those, lots of early Nora Roberts. Um, It was, it was pretty amazing, you know, but there were a lot of books and I admit I did not read them all. (laughs) I started to figure out after a while. Oh Yeah you you have preferences right you develop uh an affinity for an author's voice or for other authors voice or maybe you look at i didn't like the ones with really small print that were really packed in or that didn't start off with a bang Mm -hmm. or that didn't have humor and they were really heavy to begin with i mean i love some good emotion and some tears but i don't want to start out with it right so yeah yeah I, I inherited bags of Harlequins. <laughs> I love that she was a subscription person. Right? I mean, and especially to all of them. I mean, she's getting boxes every <laughs> month. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's my dream right there. <laughs> um, we read on your website that prior to becoming a full-time writer, you were a junior manager for a Fortune 500 company. At what point did you realize you wanted to take a different path and begin to pursue writing professionally? I had a to-be-read pile, as we all have, and I was I had like one after another disappointment. I know you guys like the do not finish books and, you know, not every author can be, can write something that's going to please everybody all the time. So I went through a couple that were not so good, not so good, not so good. I came across one by uh, Susan Crosby that was fabulous. It was sexy. It was fast paced. It was emotional. There were tears at the end. And I thought, wow, you know, and I went back and kind of read the beginning of, you know, who is this woman, right? And it turned out that she lived just 45 minutes away from me. And back then, they put PO boxes in the front so you could write to them. So I wrote to her and I said, how does like your average super mom, you know, that's working and raising kids, get into this writing thing? <laughs> And she wrote me a letter back and invited me to a Romance Writers of America's meeting in Sacramento. Oh, wow. So that was that was kind of it. Wow. And the the support that a writing group can give you, a good writing group can give you, is kind of lifting you up and carrying mm -hmm. you along or reaching back for those behind to say, hey, have you tried this or have you read that or your voice might fit with that. I mean, it's a whole, once you get into a whole community, you kind of watch out for each other. I was recently listening in on um, this. There's a app now called Clubhouse and I follow quite a lot, like a lot of authors on there. And there was a discussion on RWA and I've never really known a lot about what it is. Like, I guess to, to a certain point, like Sarah and I hear all the time, authors going to RWA meetings locally. And that was kind of the gist of what I got from that meeting was like mm -hmm. the local chapters are really helpful to new authors, to like established authors. Like that's kind of what I've, I've I'm like, it does sound like something I, I want to obviously fix whatever issues it, because the local chapters really seem to be so like helpful. So yeah, I just always love hearing that because I'm like, there's hope because people locally are really like have each other's backs, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think whatever writing group you join, and there are many that you can join, um, it's important to look for one that is inclusive, that welcomes you, that welcomes new writers at any level, um, you know, whether they're they're indie pubbed or, or not pubbed and they're just starting out. And I served as president and as vice president for a couple of years. And it's really important to get people involved and make them feel welcome and find if they need a critique partner, you know, find some group where they may or may not fit in. Um, and it's it's just mm -hmm. invaluable. It's, you know, writing is very solitary. And sometimes I'll look at my work and I'll think, I don't know what the heck is wrong with this, but it is really sucking. <laughs> and, and so I will reach out to an author friend and say, hey, can you like read just this one scene and tell me where I went wrong? And uh, it's important to find people yeah. that you trust that aren't going to totally trash you and say, well, 
I don't know why you chose to write this because no one wants to read this, but instead says, you know, mm-hmm. here are the redeeming qualities and here's why I don't like this situation or I don't like your character or whatever. So if organizations that mm-hmm. have have it going on, you know, whoever they are, whether it's Romance Writers of America or not, you know, it's, it's just invaluable. It's invaluable to an aspiring author. So when you, you went to that first meeting, you hadn't actually written anything. So what did you take away from that experience when you went? Oh, I was totally, remember me, I'm the one who walks in naive. And so I was just going to go in and sit in the back <laughs> and observe and kind of figure things out. And uh, so I walk in and immediately I was greeted by Susan who had invited me. She happened to be president that year. And she was introducing me around to these other authors. And there was somebody that had um, a movie deal like on Lifetime from one of the books that she'd written, you know, so like my eyes are getting bigger, like what the heck is this? And they kept on saying, what genre of romance do you write? Well, back then, I think as a reader, I think readers are much more into the buzzwords of, of publishing nowadays. But back then mm-hmm. I was like, genre, like I read romance and I want to write romance. <laughs> like, what are you talking about here? <laughs> so I was really taken aback, you know, and I think, um, I think the speaker was speaking about dialogue and that was, you know, all eye opening to me calling things dialogue tags. I mean, I didn't remember any of this. I was in marketing. I didn't remember any of this grammatical stuff from high school and college, <laughs> right? I mean, it's isn't it isn't grammar something that at the time when you take it, you're like, oh my gosh, why do I need to know the difference between yeah. <laughs> between all these these things? But yes, it's very important um, now that I've been edited by people in New York and who are a little bit more literary. And I'm like, oh, wow, I guess maybe I should go get my <laughs> my grammar books out. Make sure my construction yeah. is good. <laughs> In 2003, you released Michael's Father, part of Harlequin's super romance line. What was your journey like to becoming published? Oh my gosh, I was a stalker. <laughs> I had, uh, there was was a Harlequin editor. She's, she's a lovely, talented woman and uh, Paula Eichelhoff. And she had originally bought Brenda Novak, who everybody probably knows Brenda's name if you're a romance reader. And, uh, and I met her at a conference and was kind of introduced to her. And so I looked up wherever she was going. Whenever she left Toronto to go to a conference, I went to that conference. And I made an appointment to her to talk for 10 (laughs) to 15 minutes. And she finally allowed me to submit something to her. And then for two years, I rewrote that book, Michael's Father, for her. Rewrote it, rewrote it, rewrote it. At one point, I know she called and she said, I was in the shower getting ready for work. And my husband like flings open the bathroom door and says, Paula's on the phone. Get out of the shower now. And he's like throwing towels at me and turning off the water. And I'm like, what? And I get on the phone. I'm sure she heard him yelling because he's not a quiet man. And and uh, I pick up the phone and she says, is now a good time? <laughs> 
you know, now's as good a time as any. I said, you know, and she gave me more notes. And then I met her at a conference in Phoenix. And, um, and, and uh, she said, I want to take you for a drink after we had our 10 minute um, session. And I was like, oh, okay. And she said, and we're going to be celebrating. And I was like, oh, okay. And then she said, because I'm going to buy your book. And I was like, oh, wow, thank you. And, uh, and she said, but we're going to have to discuss, discuss more revision. So if, if you're an author <laughs> and you want to be professionally published and you're targeting one specific line or one specific editor, yeah, you better, you better want to please them and mm -hmm. edit. And I have met authors who are like, oh, I could never edit my words. I mean, that's just how I saw the story. And um, it's, you know, now that there's the indie pubbing world, you're more than welcome to do that. But if you have goals that are specific about getting with one editor or agent or publisher, then you should really be willing to jump out of the shower and take that call and make those edits. For anyone listening who has yet to read a super romance, which is my favorite line, and I miss it terribly, how would you describe that line to them? Wow. I think it's, I do miss that line. It, it just was a big, big story, a big, big emotional story. There was a lot to overcome. There was a lot of character growth to be had. There was, a, it, it's kind of, those have kind of transferred over a little bit to the heartwarming line, but they are, um, they could be sexy too. But generally each character had about three things that they had to deal with that were not great in their life. So there was something going in their family or their family situation. There was something going in their job or their work situation or saving the ranch or whatever. And there was something in their past mm -hmm. that they had to overcome and deal with so that they could fall in love happily ever after, right? I mean, a lot of us have hangups and we fall in love, but it's never going to work out because we haven't dealt with something in our past that would, you know, allow us to be truly comfortable in this. So I don't know, that's kind of a rambling way to describe it, but it, to me, it was just like, it wasn't just about the romance. It was about everything in their life. It was big. It was a big scale. Yes, super romance really gave the <clears throat> really gave the opportunity to really expand on the story and get those secondary characters and get that you know if it took place in a small town you met the local diner owner and then you just hoped as the reader oh that that diner owner was going to get her story. <laughs> right. That's what I yeah. love so much about it was expansion. Yes. Yes. So in, in 2011, your title, The Family Man, which was a Harlequin super romance, was reissued as Finding Logan McCall. We were doing a lot of sleuthing yesterday. Oh. <laughs> we wanted to be sure we got this right. So it was part, that one was part of Harlequin heartwarming reissues. So was the reissue something you were aware of beforehand? And I mean, what were your thoughts on having your book chosen as one to be reissued for the series. Here's here's an interesting fact. When I was at Super Romance, I think I had five different editors because people got promoted, people got shifted. Um, mm -hmm. And towards the end of my stint there, I think I wrote nine books with them. Uh, they were like, 
oh, you know what? We're now like clearing out all the super romance editors and bringing in all these other editors and they're not picking up the contracts for people like um, me, Roz Denny Fox, um, Anna Adams. There was a whole bunch of us who were like, wait, what? Like we got orphaned because our editors were no longer on the super romance line, which happens Mm -hmm. all the time. And you have to kind of pick yourself up and go, wow. And me with my corporate background, I totally understood. You still hurt and grieve like, oh, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I totally understood. So then fast forward a couple years later, and I had been like dipping into the indie publishing realm. Kindle had come out. And, um, and I was submitting other places, but things were never quite right. And Harlequin contacted me about doing the reissue. And they said, we have this new line. Um, they're going to be these big emotional romances, but with no, no sex in them. So we're trying out different books from different lines that we're editing out that we're closing the bedroom door and, um, and taking out all the curse words and everything and making it more palatable mm-hmm. because we found that um, there are readers who are reading the love inspired line that are um, maybe not reading it for religious reasons, but reading it because there's no sex on the page. And I, I was like, Oh, wow, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So they actually, they took a pass at it and then they sent me to it and I got a pass at it to kind of tighten up the threads and um, and then it was reissued. And then they asked me to come back and write for the heartwarming line. So I was part of that heartwarming when they got new content. Um, I was part of that new year, new launch, whatever. So that book, it's great because then I reissued that book as an indie book. It's part of the Mountain Firefighter series of mine. So, yeah. So it kind of has come come full circle. But yes, you have to have really thick skin. To oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that, Sarah. <laughs> no, and, and I find it interesting that you were asked to, okay, we want this book, but here, we need you to take out this, this, and this. And I agree with, as someone who reads Love Inspired, because it's closed door, but I'm not in it for the religious. That's why I love the heartwarming stuff. And mm-hmm. it's part of why I loved super romance because not every, you knew which authors wrote closed doors and which didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. So you could, you could pick yeah. and choose as you were reading stuff. And, and yeah. And I mean, I don't get me wrong. I like a good spicy scene. However, most of the time <laughs> as Brie well knows, I'm, I'm more of a closed door kind of girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. oh yeah so how do you describe the heart like we we know it's closed door and all those things but really and you mentioned it was like super romance but is there any other you know how else would you describe the heartwarming line to someone who hasn't read it before um it is well if you're a fan of heartland it's kind of like it's kind of like heartland in that um there's a sense of community and there's um, there are a lot of things to work through. So not only did they pull out, you mm-hmm. know, compared to super romance, if you kind of think, okay, so maybe this line morphed into this line. There are a lot of parallels, but there the heartwarming line has become. Gosh, at first it felt a little bit women's fictiony, 
So with romantic elements, and now it really is more romance with like emotional elements that you have to get through. I don't know. I can't describe it really well. And it's becoming a really strong uh, small town community values type line. Um, one of my friends, That's... Carrie Lynn Webb, writes a really um, a really entertaining San Francisco series um, by the Bay series, I think it's called. And um, and those books are going by the wayside as we become a little bit more small town, um, cowboy driven, those kind of those kind of themes that are coming in because that's what readers are buying. Mm -hmm. And you really have to kind of shift your focus. Roll with the punches, ladies. You got to roll with the punches. So I'm glad that you like the line. In a way, okay, because I haven't read, I haven't read in the, what's the, what was the Western series called, Sarah? The, American Romance. Yeah, American Romance. It kind of sounds like in a way, some of these old series are like sneaking their way back in, in a way. I mean, wasn't that, mostly like cowboys it was it was it didn't start that way but towards the end american romance i mean it changed to the western romance line so it yeah. was all about cowboys and the bull riders yeah and now some of the heartwarmings will have western on the side western. so it's, it's interesting yeah. how mm -hmm. the circle kind of comes back well around. yeah <laughs> and i think it's it is very interesting because um you see yellowstone is huge right i don't know if you've ever mm -hmm. watched yellowstone with kevin costner um Mm -hmm. but it's huge. And I had a movie producer from Hollywood call me. He does some stuff with Hallmark and he said, Oh, I'm looking for Western romances that I can turn into a series. So like Yellowstone, but with a Hallmark take on it. So they've got to be really popular. Mm -hmm. So as you know, as cowboys run their course, then, you know, something else will come in. We'll go back to the city or whatever, but I think it's awesome that they're staying current with what reader trends are. There are still non-cowboy books in the line, you know, so it's really great. So in 2014, you indie published book one in your Bridesmaid series, The Wedding Promise. Can you chat about your experiencing publishing independently? And is there any advice you'd give to anyone listening who is considering going that route with whatever it is that they're currently working on. The juice. Give us the juice. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's very challenging to wear all the hats in publishing. So I am currently the quote unquote publisher for 10 heartwarming authors, me being author number 10, who are writing an anthology, a holiday anthology in Heartwarming Christmas Town, which we started yeah. writing back in Christmas, actually. So I am having to like arrange the formatting of the book so that it goes up, you know, it can be read on Nook, it can be read on Kindles, it can be ordered as a print book. I'm doing all that and I'm coordinating the cover design and I'm making sure the page count fits with the printed whatever. And I could be writing. <laughs> So, and I'm also scheduling the advertising, <laughs> right? So all this stuff, it, I, I, every once in a while, I go to lunch with uh, my indie romance friends and they're like, you should just forget Harlequin and you should just be all indie. And I'm like, you know, it gives me a pit in my stomach when I have to do all this technical stuff. Like, will I click the right <laughs> button on Amazon? Will I not click the right button on Amazon? 
for example, on this on this <laughs> anthology that's coming out, um, Christmas Town Homecoming, I clicked on the print version. I clicked um, put on sale now instead of um, put on sale on the publication date for the ebook. And so oh. it put the print book on sale now. And I was like, hey, Amazon, I'm writing my little email. Um, I made this little mistake. And they're like, yeah, well, too bad, so sad because unless you pull it all down and you start all over again, you know, you can either make the book live or you can oh, wait no. until your book is live. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's just have a drink and sit down. <laughs> and tomorrow I will deal with that problem. You know, I, um, I did work at a winery, so I enjoy a glass of wine every once in a while to just kind of zen, you know. Everyone's mm -hmm. lost. So you have to have a certain skill set. Uh, you know, if you just want to write the books and you love writing the books, you know, traditional might be the way to go. Um, if you're all about control and you have good tech skills, go for indie. So the book will be available in print. Yes, it will. Okay. <laughs> I saw y'all post about it and I'm like, I want it. <laughs> it was live for 24 hours and I pulled it back down. And uh, yeah, now I'm just going to hit the hit the live button the day before the box set the the epub box mm -hmm. set goes live so yes so you talked a little bit already about the mountain firefighter series that you got i guess you got the rights back to it and you got to republish it mm -hmm. so like why what was the decision behind wanting to republish those books having come from a marketing background um you think about your books as inventory right? So I have inventory that mm -hmm. I could be selling. And sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. I don't want to say I'm long in the tooth, um, but I have been around a while and written a bunch of books. And so as these books become available to me again, it's kind of stressful to think about them sitting there not selling, either not selling because whoever published them first in the traditional world is not doing anything with them or because I need to go back and re-edit them so that they're current, order covers, mm -hmm. you know, figure everything out. So there's always an opportunity cost of, hey, this this needs to be managed. Like I need, I need an assistant, clearly. <laughs> I, need, I need someone who can do all this for me. Yeah. So if y'all know of anybody. <laughs> If you it's have someone in your knitting circle that That's right. is yeah. down yeah. to be an assistant. Hey. Yeah. Again, if you just want to write books, write books, you know, but uh, coming from a marketing background, I sit there yeah. and kind of beat myself up. You know, this is, this is why I have sleepless nights of, wow, I should do that. I should recover yeah. those books. Yeah. And I should, I am actually recovering the, the wedding promise series. And, you know, I was just, I was just talking to my cover designer about that. And we're doing cartoony covers because they're rom-coms and it's all very fun, but yeah, it's like, oh yeah. When did I recover those last? Yeah. <laughs> it's a job. I love that you said that because that's something, that's something that I think about a lot. Like when you discover an author that already has a crazy long backlist, when you find them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you start digging into it and you find these titles that, I mean, good luck maybe finding them on thrift books or at a used bookshop, but like yeah. more than likely you won't. It's like you kind of just are like, what happens to these books if nobody's like putting them out there? So, I mean, 
I guess when you, what's the process like when you're like, I want my rights back to this mm-hmm. or a book that hasn't been out in years? Like what's yeah. the process of making that happen? Yeah. So you have to actually manage your, your contracts and look to see that it hasn't been reprinted and resold again. So if it's just been sitting out there on inventory and someone can go out through harlequin.com and find these books and order them for series books, there usually is not a print copy on Harlequin after two or three months. I mean, they manage their inventory very tightly. So used bookstores becomes the place to get it. But as an author, you really have to look back and say, okay, when was my last reissue? And, um, you know, they're doing different reader programs now where they're sending stuff out, you know, over in Europe. And so it becomes really challenging because they don't always notify you. So yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole process and you are running a business and you do have to come to it. If you're coming to the traditional world with that perspective of, okay, I may have an agent who can read the contracts, but she's not going to keep track of that. I have to keep track of that. Right. Ultimately you are the boss. It sounds really scary. I, mm-hmm. I sound like I'm telling people not to become a writer. Please become a writer. We all need new voices, fresh <laughs> voices, fresh stories. Well, I mean, it, it's your it's your work too. I yeah. mean, it's your these are your babies. So I mean, and, and like you said, the the market changes, and then pe- new readers find authors all the time. So it's just mm-hmm. like, man, I really want to put that book back out there. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm all for some reissues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I love going to Walmart. I'm like, whose book have they reissued this month that I need? Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. Did they have I read this one? It sounds familiar, but now it's got a new title, you know, and you have to read the fine print. Did it was it reissued as something something else at some point in time? I, I have to admit that does drive me a little crazy that when they retitle them. Uh, you don't know, is, yeah. Yeah, because when I'm at the store, the first thing I do is I go on Goodreads on my phone and I look, I'm like a, do I have a copy? And B, have I read it? <laughs> and if they've changed the title, it makes it difficult. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So Very hard. spoiled readers. <laughs> yeah. Um, your Harmony Valley series had 11 books mm-hmm. and the Mountain Monroe series is currently has eight books in it. So for both series, when you began writing the first book, did you have plans for them to become like these big series? Well, Harmony Valley was initially... Um, three books. And then I, I would do three book and four book deals after that. I think that's why we landed at 11. There was something odd in there. <clears throat> and, um, and I was talking to my editor about it and I said, well, you know, other than the first three books, which were tightly connected in Harmony Valley, they were, they're all kind of standalones. And, uh, and she was like, yeah. And I said, I really want to write, I really want to write a connected series. And she's like, well, we really want to contract you for three books a year for two years. So that's six books. And I was like, okay, let me think about that. And uh, I believe I said, I'm thinking about setting a series either in um, somewhere like Stanley, Idaho, or um, somewhere along the Northern California coast with surfers. And she said, no surfers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like very emphatically, she was like... <laughs> 
heartwarming is not going to be about surfers. I think they're inherently seen as maybe too sexy or whatever. I was like, okay. So we went to work on this idea. Um, I said, I, I have this idea. At the time, my dad had just passed away and he had a strange inheritance list. Like um, there was a, an antique gun that he wanted to give to a waitress at some truck stop in Nevada. You know, like, how am I going to find this person? And, you know, he had a jukebox in his garage in Stanley, Idaho. He had three different properties plus rental properties. And it was, it was like this nightmare of trying to figure it out. And because I try to be naive and look on the bright side, I was thinking, wow, this could really be funny if like, if siblings and cousins inherited this small town in Idaho and didn't know why. And at the time, my editor asked me, well, why yeah. did they inherit it? And, and I'm like, I, I don't know, but I'm sure we'll figure it out, right? <laughs> so I pitched- yeah, There's that this, why again. There's that why. Yeah, there's that why. <laughs> they always want to know why. So um, I pitched, I, I created this family of, uh, of Monroe's in Second Chance, Idaho, and which is really Stanley, Idaho, which mm -hmm. is a- a popular destination during the summer months, but maybe not so much in the winter, it gets really snowed in. And, um, and I pitched the first six stories and they were like, oh, this is really great, but we need an overarching theme. Um, I think they said that to me in book two. So again, it was thought out, but not all the way thought out. And then uh, when I pitched the second set of six books because there were 12 siblings and cousins, right? So there are three siblings in each of the four branches of the family. And um, and they had to go on and, you know, into the six books. Well, when I was writing the sixth book, I think I had actually handed in the sixth book and they said, oh, wow, cowboys are really selling. And we know that you have some ranchers in town, but can you slant this book even more Western? And of course, I always say mm -hmm. yes. And then I, you know, go have my glass <laughs> of wine and try to zen and think, okay, how am I going to do this type of thing? So, um, so what I had pitched for the second set of six books, like got thrown out the window and I had to retool everything mm -hmm. and, and get approval again for these six books as Westerns, which again, you have to roll with it roll with the trends, right? Because we all want the books to sell. And I having, uh, I was, you know, born, lived on a ranch when I was younger, and I've had a horse. And so I know the lingo and I can, you know, I kind of get it. But um, have mm -hmm. not, you know, in all honesty, have not owned a horse, you know, since I was 18. So there's that as well. But anyway, so yeah, there was a method to the madness. There was an idea that it was going to be 12, but then it's kind of been very fluid. And so now I'm writing book 11 and then I'm writing book 12 and I don't know what I'm going to do after that. Right. I have to figure out a series after that. <laughs> Will it be 12 books? I think I told my editor like on book um, seven, like whose idea was it to do 12 connected books, right? Like <laughs> that is a lot connected. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Connected in one town. Like, I don't remember what people look like. I need to, and we've moved since I started it. I don't know where my notes are. We haven't, 
because my husband is remodeling. So all my boxes from my office are out in the garage somewhere and he keeps moving the boxes. They were organized when we moved in. It's utter chaos, people. It's chaos. (laughs) When you're close to like wrapping up the current series, are you kind of antsy? Like, okay, what am I going to do next? Like, is it are the wheels turning or is it easy to just like stay in this series? Cause this is the one that you're currently working on. Uh, no, the answer is no, because I've also during that time written um, my, in my indie series, uh, my rom-com series, the kissing test. And I've also written for the forever romance series, sunshine Valley, which is small town rom-com ish mm-hmm. and with, you know, matchmaking widows. So I usually about every third book have been writing one of the 12. So I have to like immerse myself again, like, oh, where did they go for coffee? Where did they get breakfast in the morning? Where did they buy their milk? (laughs) (laughs) You know, you go back and who runs this and what do they look like and what's their backstory and what's their hobbies? And so, yeah, you have to just kind of study again to get back into it. If you were indie, if I was indie and I was only writing that series, it would it would be a dream. You would just write one after the other, one after the other. Um. So can you you talked about Sunshine Valley? Can you tell us about that series? I mean, it, we know it's with Forever Publishing. The covers are adorable. Um. How did that series come to be? I had an idea for um. I as my parents have aged, they have gotten a little bit um. Um, spicy. I would say not spicy like sexy. But they have become, they like my dad would come to stay with us before he passed away and he would set off our house alarm because he would be leaving in the middle of the night wearing his long johns to go drive through Jack in the Box to get tacos at one in the morning. So I, I just wanted to, Jack in the Box tacos are good. They are good. But when you're in your 80s, driving in your underwear, maybe, maybe not such a good idea. (laughs) And I would just find this to be amusing, the things that my parents and their friends would do. And I thought, you know, I want to put, I want to feature them in some kind of series. So I wrote this single title series with um, some matchmaking widows. They play poker in the beginning to decide who they're going to matchmake and they play for pennies it's like not even they're not even playing for high stakes right so uh that was kind of the impetus of it of to doing a series so it's based on the craziness of my parents if they were matchmakers (laughs) um okay caught by the cowboy dad that is the eighth Mountain Monroe's book, which is a romance between Holden and Dr. Bernadette Carlisle, aka Dr. Baby Mama, <laughs> as Holden's 17-year-old son Devin <laughs> likes to call her. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did their romance specifically come to you? Because Holden, he goes through, you know, he's got a lot going on. <laughs> so what was it about them that, you know, their inspiration? Well, I knew that couple was going to be a couple back in um, book three, book three. I think I think it was book three where um, Dr. Carlisle was kidnapped, actually, by one of the Monroes who mm-hmm. had brought to Second Chance because they needed a doctor and 
and she refused to come up. He thought she would be a great candidate to come up and be a doctor in second chance. And they ended up kind of kidnapping her. And, uh, but they, it was all under the guise of, we're going to take you to dinner, but then they took her to dinner in second chance. And she ended up spending the night with Holden. And I said to my editor, and I want them to be pregnant. And she said, Oh no, no, no. We know that they spent the night together, but it's heartwarming. So they cannot have had relations then. So then you have to, you have to have them have a relationship and then they can have be pregnant. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, okay. But it would, you know, so I knew in my mind that they were eventually going to get their book. So I have been seeding this kind of relationship. There are all these Easter eggs laid out. When I know something mm-hmm. is coming, I lay these Easter eggs. Okay. Oh, it's so good. So the book is a fantastic look at how life has a way of coming in and changing your priorities and how it can become more than you expected. So was there anything about Holden and Bernadette's romance that you hoped would resonate with readers or one of their characters in particular? I really like the theme in this book of, um, you know, you, you chug along in life and you think you know where it's going and then everything changes. And there are some things about that change that are joyous. And there are some things about that change that, you have a hard time adjusting to. So he, here he's got a 17 year old who's getting ready to go off to college. And then he learns that Bernadette is pregnant and he has broken up with her for various reasons that you find out in the book. And, uh, and, and so he's having a hard, he's really having a hard time. The poor guy. I mean, he kind of, he kind of yeah. like, <laughs> had, had a little stress <laughs> panic attack there. So, um, I think, I think it's really about, yeah, like coming to terms with this is where life is now and how can I embrace that change and be happy with it? Um, can you tell us about your book, creating unforgettable characters, tools, tips, and hacks to create fiction that sells? I saw this on your website and I was like, what is this? (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about it? Yes. Um, I, I am, I think, one course shy of a psychology minor, which my mom for years when she was alive, God bless her, she would um, say to me, you know, you shouldn't leave things unfinished. And I was like, I'm not going back to school for this one class, (laughs) right? Um, (laughs) I already have two degrees, mom. I don't need to go back and get this little minor thing tied up. But when I was, when I was plotting characters, I would say, oh my gosh, this is, um, I would start to use psychological terms and Anna mm-hmm. Stewart, Anna J. Stewart and my other critique par- partner, Carrie Lynn Webb would say, okay, we don't, we don't understand this. And so I went out and searched um, for a paper that talked about why people go to therapy because in their relationships, they have stuff they have to get over in their past. That's getting in the way of their relationships and them being happy. And so I would say to them, this is just like Dr. Strange, or this is just like George Bailey and It's a Wonderful Life. He needs to learn X, Y, Z in order to be happy. And they were like, oh my gosh, can you like write this down? Can we do this as a presentation at our writing group or whatever? And so it kind of evolved from me giving them crib notes of, hey, there are 10 to 11 reasons why people go to therapy because they can't be happy. And there are another um, six to seven reasons why people can't be happy in life. 
And it's like, you know, basically the movie Judge Dredd, right? I'm like pulling from a totally different category of, um, you know, somebody, there's an example of somebody who was not really happy in his life, but he was upholding the law and being really strict. But anyway, so what I did was I took psychological principles and kind of put them in layman's terms and gave a hundred different movie and TV examples of characters to say, hey, here's how you can use this in your writing. Like here's how a great example is Moonlighting, right? The not Moonlighting, um, Moonstruck with Cher, where she is a widow who does not want to fall in love again. So she wants, but she's lonely and she's living with her parents. So she wants to get engaged to whichever Camerary brother it was, right? Like Ronnie Camerary, I think. Johnny, maybe Johnny. And, uh, and she was scared to love again and be hurt, right? Because karma is going to get you, right? Your husband is going to be struck by a bus and then you're going to be unhappy again. So why not be happily unhappy with someone that you don't really love? That was kind of how she came into Moonstruck. And then she fell in love with the brother, right? And so she learned that love was worth it in the end. Love is worth the risk of losing somebody. So that book really breaks down for writers how you can use examples of things. Like the first book in the Monroe series is actually based a little bit off of um, the movie Doctor Strange, where a surgeon is in an accident, can no longer perform surgery, but his ego is all tied up into that identity. So he needs to resolve his identity in order to openly love again. So it's just taking those those kinds of um, movies and TV shows that we're used to seeing and saying, okay, and here's the example based in psychology of what they need to learn to get there. But it's all like hacked up, super easy, quick read. So long explanation to say, I love it. It has a lot of hacks in it. I love books like that. I, I love, like, I don't know. I, well, that's one of my favorite things I think about reading romances seeing the characters and like the lies that they tell themselves and they believe about Mm -hmm. themselves and seeing, okay, I, if they didn't work through this, this happy ever after would not have, it wouldn't work. And it, you know, it just, it's worth it because you saw both of them go through their stuff. So I love it. Is this book Mm -hmm. in print or is it ebook only? It is in print. It is. I have it in my cart on Amazon currently. Okay. Okay. Yep. It's in my card on Amazon waiting for payday. (laughs) Uh, um, So let's get into some more writing questions. Okay. Uh, Let me see here. Early bird or night owl? What time of day do you feel most productive writing? Well, lately, uh, lately it's been the afternoon. It used to be the morning. I used to get up at like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. But um, then COVID came and then everybody was home and around. And so I don't get up early in the morning because I don't go to bed early at night. So now I find it the afternoon whenever it's really quiet and I can't hear somebody else watching TV or doing a Zoom call or doing whatever. That's when I'm most productive. Are you a plotter or pantser? I'm a plotzer because I plot at first And then it always happens. I lose my notes or my synopses or, you know, and, 
And so I'm just flying by the seat of my pants and I will write out mid book, like, okay, what scenes have I done? What scenes, where, what is missing here? Where does it need to go? So I kind of apply plot structure to where I am. But it, as an example, I wrote a book for Harlequin and like around page 100, I went, wow, this hero has tried to commit suicide in the past and I did not see this coming. And now what am I going to do? I literally like for a week went around going, I cannot tell Harlequin that this is the backstory of this character. It can't be done. And then I, then I started to think, well, why can't that be? Well, other than the fact that I had already turned in a synopsis mm -hmm. for it <laughs> and they might be marketing it one way. It was like, <laughs> Oh wow. Okay. So I need to, mm. I need to kind of figure that out. But uh, you know, in the end they did let me write it that way. So I do find the intuitive side comes forth, but it's, you know, there is a structure and a lot of times the hooks and tropes, you know, that readers love that, that marketing wants to. If it's a project you've already been working on, do you reread from the previous day's work before you start? No, ma'am. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, you know, I have kind of a funky process in that I, um, I write a mini draft. So I, I will write uh, maybe a page or two of each part of the act of what I want. So I'm kind of trying out the characters as I go. And then I, I go back and I fill in scenes and I allow myself four big edits. So if I've had a pause, like, okay. uh, for example, a couple of weeks ago, my daughter got married, you know, we had postponed her wedding, postponed her wedding because of COVID. Then we had the wedding. So there was like a week of craziness and rushing around. And I couldn't remember what I was writing about. Who was I, what was the character's name? Who's the hero? <laughs> What is, what's his eye color again? So, you know, it paid to go back and reread re what I had written and then go from there. And then you get kind of this boost and this jump. But I find that I'm not the kind of writer that mm -hmm. can go back and look at the, the pages. I think I, it kind of actually depresses me because sometimes okay. the drafts are really bad. <laughs> and so I'll be thinking, oh, gosh, this sucks this so totally sucks and it will put the brakes on me so it's better for me not to look back are there any necessities you need around you while writing necessities well i need uh water and coffee, coffee. yes yes water <laughs> and coffee are necessities <laughs> i do um it's funny because i have a new laptop and i'm trying to you know how you transition from one computer to another and sometimes it's a painful transition and so this new laptop, I pressed mm -hmm. something and it's linked up with my phone. So I get text and not just email, but text messages mm -hmm. on my laptop. And I find that very distracting. So I need to figure out how to do that because what I don't want is I don't want those distractions. Do you set a daily writing goal and do you have any advice for anyone unsure how to figure out what their daily, write, daily writing goal should be? Oh, wow. I would love to write 10,000 words a week. I tend to look at, at it by week. How much can I do? I know okay. that um, if you're <laughs> writing in Word or any other you know, word processing document, usually they'll give you the page count or you can look up the page count um, and, the, and the word count to see how much you're producing. My brain wants to quit after 2,000 words. It's kind of like, oh, that's all I can think of for today. <laughs> You know, or, oh, 
I'm so angry with people because they're not doing what I want them to do or they're not funny or they're not, you know, he's a jerk, those kind of things. So I've found that allowing myself a weekly goal rather than a, um, a daily goal is best. And that allows me to stop. And if I need to do a deep edit and then, you know, push forward. Um, so are there specific programs that you use when you log into the computer? Do you use Word? Do you use Scrivener? Are you doing some stuff longhanded? Like for your writing, what are you actually using? So I use Word and I use a notebook. Look, I even have like my notebook right here with a line through it because I have entered those wow. pages. So what I um what I try to do, what ideally I try to do, and granted I only do it maybe like three or four nights a week, is I um, have a cool down period after dinner and after watching stuff with my husband or my son or whatever. And I will go back into the bedroom and I'll write out, I'll draft out some scenes that I have an idea for to write the next day. And that actually seems to help my subconscious the next day when I actually want to write those scenes, because I have a little bit of um, a platform to jump off to get things going. I find when I mm -hmm. don't do that, that the writing is a little bit harder. And so I really want to try to, um, okay. to keep things pushing forward. And even if it's only like for 20 minutes or a half hour and I have four pages, that can a lot of times give me, you know, 15 to 20 pages of, you know, good pages, because once you put in the dog walking, mm -hmm. you're going to get a lot more pages, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So some backlist questions. Uh, which book from your backlist do you remember laughing the most while you were writing? I think I laughed the most on A Very Merry Match, which is one of the forever romance titles. And it's about a, um, a kindergarten mm -hmm. teacher who's a widow and she's, you know, the widows play poker to matchmake her. They think it's, she needs to get back out there, put herself out there and find love. But her, um, her dead husband had a brain tumor, knew he was going to die, and he wanted to leave her in a good position so he would gamble, online gambling, and he racked up all this online gambling debt, and now these thugs come to town and are trying to um, get their money, but she doesn't have the money because she's a kindergarten teacher, right? So there's a lot of fun that ensues, yeah. but her grandmother has decided that she wants to date. And so there were some scenes with the grandmother, like she's putting on her bullet bra and she's, you know, making herself up and doing whatever. And she's adjusting the girls. And, and when I reread that in editing, I was like, oh my God, I cannot, I cannot even concentrate because I just break out in the giggles. Um, and again, you may have missed this part, but um, my parents and their friends were just so charming and also silly as they aged because they were, you know, they wanted to live their lives and they wanted to maybe do some dating and, mm -hmm. and, uh, some of the extremes that they went to were extreme and it's kind of heartwarming and funny. That was one of my favorite books. I think I read that one last year and I remember, um, sitting at home, because of course I was home for, co you know, due to COVID and just laughing hysterically. And my husband, like, what, what are you laughing at? And I'm describing like these thugs and what she was doing to earn the money. And my husband's just looking at me like I had <laughs> lost my mind. That book was fantastic. Absolutely oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I just, 
That was a pleasure to write that. You know, some books are like, oh, you slug through and then they get good reviews and and people have all the tears or whatever. And some books are just like a wild ride from the get go. And that was one of those. I would love to write another yeah. one of those. <laughs> it wasn't what I expected. Like I knew it was going to be a small town contemporary. I'd read other books in the series, but I'm like, oh, this went somewhere I didn't expect. And I loved yeah. it. I was totally there for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Which book from your backlist was the toughest to write? Oh my goodness, the toughest to write. You know, I think um, Snowden with the single dad was toughest to write because it was a quiet story and it was right after my mom passed away. And I, you know, I think I turned it in and my editor said, um, there's no Melinda Curtis like humor in this. You want to take a second stab at it to like bring up the humor a little bit? I was like, okay okay, you know, how you, as a working author, you know, you do have to kind of pick yourself up when things happen. And that was really, it was really difficult to pick stuff up again. Um, is there a book in your backlist that you feel readers have reached out to you about the most? I got a lot of um, comments and thank yous for the book where the hero had tried to commit suicide before of you know, because I kind mm -hmm. of, I kind of redeemed him and made it understandable as, you know, he was not now suicidal, suicidal, like how people move mm -hmm. forward and, you know, find their happy, safe place where they can maybe talk a little bit more openly about their past and their mistakes and things like that. So I have got a lot of really heartfelt, um, correspondence about that one. Is there a book in your backlist that you feel taught you something about yourself as a writer? Oh gosh. I think every book I write teaches me something about myself. Actually, if you read, if you read authors, you can pretty much tell what they're going through um, by some of the themes that seem to bleed into their work. If they've got, you know, some of those emotional themes actually caught by the cowboy dad, when he had that um, meltdown, you know, and everything kind of fell apart. I actually had a meltdown and everything fell apart because um, we were moving, not not because it had ever been our plan to move. We thought we were in a house that we were going to retire in in California. But then all three of our kids went to college in Oregon and, you know, didn't come back. <laughs> so here we are, you know, our oldest started to have babies and we're like, oh, what are we going to do now? And so it was it was just this whole shift of, okay, now we have to build our whole friend network, our support network, find a new dentist during COVID, like all these things that you never think about it. I was just like, I don't want to get out of bed. There's a pandemic, you know, I don't know, like, where do I want to go for groceries? Even, you know, it was a whole, it was a whole thing. And so that really seeped into that book. I knew that he was going to have a life change, but the exact life change that went in that book was something that I was going through. And it felt cathartic to me to put it on the page. And some round out questions. What is one book you wish you could read again for the first time? Oh my gosh. A Duke of Her Own by Eloisa James. I love that book. I reread that book actually once a year because it just strikes me. It just strikes me the right way. I think it just hits all the right notes and I cry every time I read it again and I just love it. I read her um, most recent book, Lizzie and Dante, which is 
mm-hmm. kind of more it's like more women's fiction and yeah it's so good she's such oh, a good really? writer he is good <laughs> like, whatever it's you want to write miss eloisa yeah. we're gonna read it <laughs> yeah i'm currently reading uh Kristen higgins latest one so I'm kind of on a women's fiction kick right now. And I think I need to, I think I need to switch back to um, rom-coms. I'm ready for a good rom-com. What's a romance you've read within the past few years that reminded you why you love the genre? I did judge one in a contest and I can't tell you what it was, <laughs> but it was so well done. And it was in, and it was in the um, not yet published category. And I've always thought, wow, I should have, I should go back and dig that out and see if that author published that because it was really a great book. I mean, it had a wonderful black Um, moment that lasted more than a minute. You know how sometimes a black moment just is too short. You want them to suffer a little bit longer and have a deeper realization. I mean, it was just well paced and well thought out. And um, yeah, that was I wish I, you know, now I'm like, oh, I should have. I should have followed up on these people. See, I need an assistant for this very reason. <laughs> <laughs> so you can chime in and be like, this was the book. This was the title. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your teenage celebrity crush? Oh, it was uh, David Cassidy, for sure. Oh, <laughs> David Cassidy. And my best friend was, uh, was crushing on... Um, Donnie Osmond, I think, but then she switched to Michael Jackson, like, you know, before he really became popular. So yeah, that shows you how long I've been around enjoying, enjoying romances and crushes. There you go. <laughs> Sarah, I feel like Donny Osmond is our most popular response. I, you know, a part of me wants to go back and, and like keep track. And then at the end of the year, do a big, you know, <laughs> Donny right? was hot. Okay. That's right. <laughs> Right. And then, you know, it was so satisfying for Donny Osmond to sing in Mulan. Remember when he sang in Mulan in the cartoon Mulan? Yes. It was like, yeah, I know who he is. We go way back. (laughs) (laughs) Name one film you'll never stop watching. I am a Pride and Prejudice person. I mean, I love the Keira Knightley version version because... um, the BBC version with all the episodes takes me too long to watch. So really any Pride and Prejudice version, like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, I watched that movie. I love watching that movie. There's something about Darcy and Elizabeth that I could watch over and over again. There's like a Bollywood version. You put Pride and Prejudice in a title Mm. or say it's based on Pride and Prejudice and I'm totally there. But the Kira Knightley version is my favorite. Do you yeah. like the retellings of the books? Like, do yeah. you read the retellings? I do like them, but what I find is um, if I, if I, when I'm really producing words, I can't be a reader because mm-hmm. I will, I'll be like, oh okay. my gosh, that's a beautiful turn of phrase. And then that turn of phrase will stick in my head and I'll be like, uh, yeah, but I can't, I can't use that. And then I'll be stuck because I'll be thinking, I want as beautiful a turn of phrase as that author had in this book. And then you're just blah, blah, blah. So I like binge and yep. binge read in between books so that I can, I get all my fix. That's gotta be one of the most like adapted retold stories. And I can't oh, remember, gosh, yeah. 
I was watching something recently and they were talking about the Kira Knightley version and I, I still have not seen it. I need to watch it, but it says that that is the, that version is the one that captures their emotions the most out of all of the adaptations. Like the way that I've seen the, the hand scene where they like, he yeah. helps her out of the carriage and it like focuses on him and his, and I'm like, Oh God, this looks so good. But yeah, it, it said, I was watching something recently that said it's the best. Some of the versions are not as clear in establishing the the backstory, especially his backstory. This one I thought did a great job of establishing mm-hmm. his backstory and not just through some letter that he writes to her when she's, you know, staying at the at the vicar's house. Um, and I yeah, I just really find it's just really well done. That was a really well done version. And it's, you know, like two hours. You have two hours. Perfectly manageable. Yeah. <laughs> what is one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? Oh, there has to be a happily ever after if you're calling it a romance. In fact, I I have mm-hmm. um, I have a really hard time reading a series, you know, like the Janet Ivanovich series. Like after she chose Joe, it's like, no, come on. She chose Joe. Let's just have her marry Joe. Even though, you know, I will read the books and I still enjoy the books, I really want more emotionally. You know what I mean? Yep. I just, I'm a diehard romance lover and I want that happily ever after everywhere. Uh, What is one of your favorite romance tropes to read? I love the fake date, fake relationship trope. That's like, give me a cute cover with a cute um, fake date type title and I buy it doesn't matter who wrote it. I'm there. Is there a category romance series you wish never went away or would make a comeback? A category? Oh, you mean like uh, that Harlequin published? Yeah. Or any. Oh, love and laughter, people. Love and laughter. I mean, those (laughs) rom-coms were fabulous. They were fabulous. I wish that readers would have bought them and I wish it would have continued because they were were just so great. I remember one... Um, Jennifer, Jennifer Lebrecht wrote where there was, um, bull sperm involved. So I can't remember if the bull got, (laughs) I can't remember if the bull got kidnapped, but it was hilarious. It was just hilarious. So yes. Love and laughter. So is this different from duets? I haven't heard of this. Okay. Love and laughter. Yes. This is, this was a different line. Did you read duets? I read duets and I read love and laughter. There was another, there was, yeah, there was another love and laughter about a wedding chapel in Vegas. That was really good too. Oh, (laughs) they also had the flip side line briefly as well. Yeah. Very briefly. The women's fiction line was great too. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of things I think that they can still try, but they're probably, they're probably doing things like that. Um, in maybe digital, digital first or digital only or things like that. Cause there's probably not enough diehard romance, mm-hmm. romance readers to take it, but I'd be like first in line if they said, Oh, we're doing yeah. a rom-com series at Harlequin. I'd be like me, pick me. Yes, please. <laughs> Anyone that's listening, just saying <laughs> we love rom-coms here and uh, Melinda Curtis can write them. So Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Tough love. What's one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever been given? Toughest piece of advice. Well, I don't. Toughest piece of advice. It's not funny everywhere. I think is 
is, yeah, um, you know, okay. because okay. the books, the books get distributed so broadly, you know, a, around the globe and, um, humor doesn't play everywhere. So I may be in love with like a setup and a payoff, but it may be taken wrong in another country. So, you know, it, it needs to yeah. come out and be toned down. So sometimes I do really think about that. Like, okay, as I'm writing, usually mm -hmm. I try to first draft, let everything flow, maybe be politically incorrect, maybe be too sexy if it's a heartwarming and, um, and then pull it back from there. Try to honor that creative juice and that excitement and enthusiasm. That's why I think I, I mean, I love romantic comedies and I have such a respect for romantic comedy authors because humor is so subjective. Like you may yeah. be on the floor dying, laughing, and it may go completely over somebody's head. And like, I always thought that my comedy, like my humor was so normal. I'm like, like I'll sit with my husband. I'm like, watch this episode of Lucy and Ricky and look what she does. And he's like, um, okay, this isn't his, his, his funny. Isn't my funny. And I'm like, you're right. an idiot. This is funny. This is a classic <laughs> comedy, you know, but it's just and romantic comedies that come out now, you know, it, it can be hard to, I don't know. The comedy is just so different. So mm -hmm. that I think that's, that's really true. Like it's not always going to translate. Well, and, and part of it is, yeah, you have to be, you have to be sensitive that you're, you know, and I had always tried to be sen sensitive because hello me clueless, right. <laughs> I mean, try to, to live in my world, whatever, but it is a bigger world. The, um, the thing that I don't understand is why there aren't more rom-com films being made now right when when the yeah. rom-com covers you know rom-com is such a huge genre right now so why people make more films hallmark come on snap to make some more yes. tv let's please go. <laughs> yes i hallmark i feel like they they've stepped it up some with romantic comedies i think they have some new writers or something so i have hope yeah i have hope yeah. i do feel like we see stuff on netflix but it's usually around the holidays and again it just depends on if you think it's funny or not. So, right? <laughs> we I need a say, new Nora Ephron. We need a Nora Ephron. <laughs> I will say one. Oh, there was this politically incorrect series on Netflix, and it's a short series. I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but it's called Bonding. Have you have you heard of this? Oh. So it's about um, mm -hmm. these two friends from high school. Uh, she wants to become. I think she wants to become a lawyer or something. And he he's kind of floating through his life and he's trying to figure things out. And she becomes a dominatrix to pay for her schooling. And it is hilarious. There's not really a lot of sex going on because that's apparently not what dominatrix stuff is about. Right. I didn't know this. Yeah, about, yeah. I write for heartwarming. I didn't know this. <laughs> but you know, and the episodes are only like 15 minutes long, but it's him as um as her sidekick and supposedly bodyguard and he's just this little runt you know that can't really do much of anything and they get into all these problems as they travel around new york city trying to make extra money it's just kind of it's kind of hilarious yeah. but it's when we first started watching it my husband is like 
what is this and why are we watching it? And I said, well, it came up because we watched <laughs> some other rom-com on Netflix. So it must be good. And look at how many people watched it in the ratings. So yeah. Yeah. yeah things come up and you're like, is that, is that for me? Yeah. The actor was actually nominated for an Emmy. So, you know, it's not totally bizarre, but I feel bizarre as a heartwarming author bringing it up. <laughs> Yeah, the situational comedy is what gets me. It, 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 it sounds like the situations they find themselves in. It's going to be a win, so yeah. I'm going to have to look it up. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 15 years from now, you're writing your memoir. What is the title? Don't talk to me until I've had coffee. <laughs> I, think it, I think we've come full circle. <laughs> because, uh, yeah. We've come yeah. full circle. <laughs> Literally. No I more mean, than one glue. No more than one glue. No more than one glue. <laughs> yeah, no more than one glue. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great one too. Yeah, that's an interesting question. But I think I'm I'm going with one of those too. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? Um, gosh, I feel like um. I feel like I've learned a lot about setbacks and about myself and about how, you know, life and the career goes on no matter what happens, you know, contracts come, contracts don't come. Um, the, the important thing is that I'm happy writing the way I write. So mm -hmm. yeah, just kind of be mm -hmm. comfortable where you are. We know A Cowgirl's Secret releases in October. What can you share with us about it? And is there anything else scheduled to release by you soon? Ha ha. <laughs> now you're testing my memory. Um, a Cowgirl's Secret is in the Mountain Monroe series. And uh, it's about a cowgirl who um, she's, it's not paying the bills. Being a cowgirl is not paying the bills. So she tries bull riding, which a lot of women have been trying to do these past couple of years, but she gets injured and she's told that she might not be able to have mm -hmm. kids. So as she's kind of falling for this Monroe, she's got this secret of, you know, she might not be able to have kids at all, um, which is, you know, can be really mm -hmm. devastating if the way you thought of your life, it's not, mm -hmm. um, it's not going to be in the cards anymore. So it is a lighthearted book. <laughs> that said, all my books have, I think, um, the emotional underpinnings, but then we have fun along the way. And it's set in second chance. And so there are a lot of mm -hmm. uh, people around coming in and out. And then the next in the series after that is um, The Cowboy Meets His Match, which is another unexpected kind of cowboy thing because he is a um a cowboy who he was a roping champion so while he was traveling around the united states he's also an adrenaline junkie so he would do things like um paragliding and zip lining and river rapid running and things like that and uh his heroine is a monroe who was a racing boat captain who um heard racing boat capsized and they had to resuscitate her. So she is now like shrinking back. And so um, I thought that would be an interesting mm -hmm. couple to have is this cowboy who is like, you know, yes, let's go bungee jumping off a bridge, you know, kind of 
kind of guy. And she's like, I died. I died. And this is serious stuff here. So it's a great, great push pull. Mm -hmm. And before that, of course, your Harlequin heartwarming authors have um, an indie release coming to you about uh, a high school reunion in Christmastown, Maine, uh, which they're all connected stories. I don't know if Anna told you about that, but it's kind of like the sisterhood of the traveling pants where they um, dig up the time capsule and there's a ring in there that's not on the manifest, you know, the list of items and the ring keeps getting carried along the way and lost. They, everyone intends to bring it to the lost and found, but then it gets lost. And then the next hero or heroine picks it up and, and uh, it's part of their emotional journey to find love. So it's pretty cool. I love it. I saw it on, somebody posted it on online on Instagram. I think, I don't know. I can't remember who it was. And I was just like, Maine is like my number one travel destination bucket list. And it's Christmas and it's an anthology heartwarming authors yep. <laughs> I needed in print that's all I needed that's all I needed. yeah and it, yeah and I have and it's connected yeah I love the connected books like when we write we're writing the Blackwell series again next year I don't know if you guys read any of the Blackwells yes. last year that was my first but, heartwarming series oh yep. yeah we we love writing that and uh we're so grateful to Harlequin for seeing our vision to pitch a third Blackwell series mm-hmm I was telling Sarah today, I was like, I can't, I can't wait for a cowgirl secret because I am obs- the cover is so beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, oh, right? I, I'm not yeah. much of a cover person, but I love that yeah. cover. Yes, mm-hmm. I love it. <laughs> I actually have a standing request there that they do that. I love the close-ups that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, like yep. the, the first book in the series, Kissed by the Country Dock, is you know, a close up of him and they both got the snow caps on and he's got that full beard, you know, like the millennial beard, which I just love. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, <laughs> it's so great. I love those close ups. Yeah, <laughs> give me more. Give me more. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like we need I mean, we're talking about future series. I feel like we need like a whole like a renovation family series. I mean, because you have the renovation. No, actually. Yeah. Harlequin has said, yeah, we're not doing renovation (laughs) stories. People have had enough of it. Trust me. Dang it. (laughs) I know. Right. Right. Yeah. Drats. Yeah. I mean, Sorry, Dana, if you ever hear this. Start <laughs> it out there. Right? Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love all the coffee shop bakery ones too, right? Coffee shop bakery heroines. Oh, yeah. Love, love all day long. Yep. Clearly, we're the minority. I know. <laughs> Here's Sarah and Brie grow again with their ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and lastly where can everybody find you online well my website melindacurtis.com has a great uh welcome page like where to start so it describes several different series and has links to my pages in there and um on facebook what what am i at on facebook melinda curtis author i think I think I'm that on Instagram too. So yeah, just search Melinda Curtis. You'll probably find me. And Mm -hmm. thank you for the printable book list on your website. Just saying. Oh, yes. (laughs) I love that you have that. Which reminds me that I need to update it, right? Well, thank you so much. (laughs) 
<laughs> more books yes um more books that's right. thank you yep. so much for chatting with us today it has been such an honor to chat with you we've been so excited like all week like friday night we're hanging out with melinda curtis so thank you oh um, you guys yes. are so and buzzy everyone's everyone's <laughs> talking about you i hear readers talking about you editors talking about you authors talking about you so you you ladies are doing something really great people are tuning in well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We are very happy. Thank you. Um, so listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We will have link to Melinda's website and all the places you can keep up with her online as well as where you can find her books online. So check that out as well. And Sarah and I will chat with you in our next episode. Thank you for hanging out with us for episode 50. We did it. Yay. 50 episodes. This is incredible. Wow. Happy 50. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you later, everybody.